Well, praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to be back with you guys as we continue our series on the gospel according to Exodus. Uh, I personally, I love the Old Testament. I don't know about you guys. When I was a kid, honestly, I only read the Old Testament. I thought the stories were wild, and I didn't know what the heck Paul was saying. Uh, even as I got older, I'm like, I love, I love reading Exodus. I love reading the Old Testament. I love seeing kind of a fuller picture of God's character and God's nature. And so I hope you guys have been enjoying this series so far. We're about halfway there. We've got some ways to go still. Um, but my passage uh, today, I have a quick word on the passage for today. Um, and I want to start by taking you guys back with me to, to last week. Uh, some of y'all know I've started counseling for the first time. And honestly, I feel bad for the guy because I just like argue with him because I'm very stubborn. Uh, and I think I know everything. Um, but yeah, I was telling him at my last session, I was like, you know, I'm currently in a season that's more stressful than normal. You know, I'm dealing with more stress than I'm, than I'm used to. And, um, you know, I, I want to handle it in a way that's both healthy and honoring to God. And so he said, you know, okay, here's your homework then. Your homework is to really look at your life, look at the season that you're in, and determine what's really causing you stress, right? That's, that's your homework. And I said, okay. I didn't know I was going to have homework when I signed up for this, but you know, I'll give it a go. We'll see how it goes. And so for over the last week or so, I've been trying to really process kind of the season I'm in. And, and it feels like, you know, I have a lot of big decisions coming up. Anyone else have big decisions or transitions you're wrestling with, right? Like things that are looming, you're in the process in, or you're on a precipice of making a big decision. Um, that's where I feel like I'm at right now. And, you know, for anyone who knows me, I'm a very analytical person. So I'm thinking through all the different scenarios and contingency plans. I'm thinking of, you know, what are the financial uh, ramifications of this? What are the social consequences of that? Can I physically or mentally handle this or that? You know, and my mom's telling me, she's like, oh, to him, David, call me David. She says, David, just take it one step at a time. One foot in front of another. And I want to believe for me and for us Right, if you would kind of agree that maybe you're in a season or you've been in seasons of uncertainty, that God has a picture of where He's taken us, right? But it often feels like He only gives us what one piece of the puzzle a day. Like one morning He gives us a piece, and the next morning we wake up, He gives us like another piece, and, next, and you're like, God, uh, this is an a thousand piece puzzle. Like, can you kind of hurry this up a little bit? You know what I'm saying? And, and for me, you know, I have all these logistical questions that are on my mind about the season of uncertainty I'm in right now. And I think that's what's causing me stress. Maybe you relate to that. Maybe it isn't even a big decision for you. I talked to a woman recently who was saying that she feels, you know, um, like she just doesn't know how to be a better witness to her neighbors every day. And that was causing her a degree of stress or burden or anxiety. And so for me, you know, I thought I did my homework. I was like, I, I can think of unanswered questions that are on my mind that are causing me this stress. I think I'm good. And then I read the passage for today. And praise God for his word, right? God's word can be encouraging. It can uplift you. It can embolden you. Or it can expose you. And believe you me, God was doing some uh, exposing this week as I read this passage. And the reason I say that is because on, on a major level, I actually really identify with the Israelites in this story. 
right? The passage says that God was leading them right, place by place, kind of step by step, like my mom was saying, you know, and, and they enter a place of literal wilderness and desert where there's no water. And Moses says, let's, let's camp at this place called Rephidim, which translates to rest, which is ironic because ain't nobody trying to rest there in this story, right? And I could I definitely identify with the Israelites in this sense because I've been camping before. I remember freshman year, my friends wanted to go camping uh, for me, with me for the first time. And I called my mom, and my mom's a Nigerian. We have, we have a Nigerian, I think, in the crowd today. Shout out to Niger brother. And so my mom's a Nigerian. I called her. I said, Mom, I'm going to be gone this weekend because I'm going to go camping. And she said, would you call me? I said, no, uh, camping. It's like, a, it's like a thing people do at my school. She said, what, what is that? I said, well, you know, you like build a fire and you sit on sticks and you eat crackers and chocolate. It's fun, I think, you know. She's like, where, where are you going to sleep? I said, I'm going to sleep outside in like a tarp. And they call it a tent on rocks. And she paused and she's like, you know, I left Nigeria so you wouldn't have to sleep outside anymore, right? And I was like, yeah, I know, mom, but like I'm a wean. I'm trying to fit in. And I think camping is one of the five pillars of white culture. So I'm just trying to learn and love them better, you know. And so I get what it's like to grumble and complain is my point. It was probably a little different back then, but I was grumbling and complaining. It was horrible. I was cold. You know what I'm saying? At least in Nigeria, it's hot if you sleep outside. But, like, I get what it's like to grumble and complain. But especially they're in a place where they have no water. And so they have these logistical questions that actually seem pretty legitimate to me. Right? Where, where are we going to get water from? Are, are we really going to stay here? Egypt seemed lit compared to, to this, you know what I'm saying? And so they have these questions, and I identify with these questions, and so I thought my homework was done, but this passage exposes us because it shows us there's a deeper question underneath all these surface logistical questions. And that deeper question was actually what was causing them worry and stress and anxiety. And we find it at the end of the passage. What's the question that's really at their hearts? Is the Lord among us or not? Is God's presence with us or not? That's ultimately the question that they have. And when I read this, the veil was like removed from my eyes and I was like, that's it. See, ultimately what's causing me stress is not simply these logistical questions. What's causing me stress and what I argue what causes us stress in our times of uncertainty or in the places or the days where we have to make decisions and we're not quite sure what to do is that we actually have doubts that the presence of God is guiding us, is leading us, is among us. And so it exposes me to this. And, and I think what's um, crazy is, is that um, we often don't even realize that this is at the heart of a lot of our stress and questions. We, we don't realize that deep down we're actually like, I don't know if God's in this with me. And that's why I feel so unsettled right now. Or worse yet, we actually do realize that. We know we have those doubts. And it doesn't really bother us anymore. If I could say one thing that kind of uh, scares me about the current modern church is that we've almost normalized doubt and worry to the point that 
we forget is actually at times faithlessness. We've actually normalized like being anxious and being concerned. And, and we chalk it up to, oh, it's just, you know, I have logistical, I have legitimate questions about what well, I'm just trying to be prudent. I'm just trying to think through the options. But actually at the root of it is doubt and faithlessness. And we've almost like, like over uh, corrected that doubt is okay. Because there is seasons where you should go to God and doubt and ask questions and whatnot. But you go to God because you know ultimately he will deliver you. But we've almost normalized just relying on our, on our own strength and strategies to figure things out in our seasons of, of distress. And when we can't, we just despair and we lose hope. And to me, it's a mentality, it's an ideology we adopted from the world. I have many friends who are not Christians, and honestly, I love talking to them because they ask really good questions, and they broaden my view of the Lord. But every once in a while, or most of the time, I should say, most of the time, our, our, our conversations end up in the same place. They look different, they're kind of packaged different, but they end up in the same place. And ultimately, the question they always ask me, we come back to is, how can I believe the Lord is among us when I look at this world? Like, how can you believe that God is actually here present when you look at this situation? When you see, you know, the coronavirus, when you see uh, things like natural disasters, when you see things like our last presidential debate, am I wrong? Right? Or worse of all, when you see things like uh, Lemoncello LaCroix. Y'all know I hate LaCroix. I especially hate Lemoncello LaCroix. Have you ever tried it before? It's disgusting. I'd rather catch coronavirus, honestly. I'm, I, bad joke. But, but like, in all seriousness, like, there, when you look at the situation we're in, and it seems like we're in a desert or in a wilderness, how can you say, how can you trust that God's presence is there? And this is how the world thinks that hopelessness is okay if you can't see the hope, if you can't see where things are going. And we've normalized that even in the church. It's a human condition of the heart. But I would argue from scripture that when you are in a wilderness, it doesn't mean that God's not with you. In fact, I would argue being in a place of uncertainty might actually be indicative of God's presence. Because God might actually be the one who led you to that place. You might say to me, well, Pastor Otua, why would God lead us to a place of uncertainty and of doubt? And as, as I was thinking about this, he reminded me of a story, you know, it's a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with staff, and um, a lot of you know Eugenia, our Director of Operations, her and Ethan welcomed a new uh, son last year, a little baby Tate, and they brought Tate to, to this hangout we were at, and, you know, he was kind of fussy and he was hungry and tired. And he was crying a little bit. Um, you know, at this point, I was holding him and he was calm. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, say anything, but I think I'm pretty good, you know, with kids. You know, they usually are the only ones that laugh at my jokes. And so we have this nice bond, you know. And I was holding him and making faces and, like, doing things. And, you know, he wasn't really, like, laughing. He kind of thought I was crazy. But he wasn't crying, which was nice, right? And so I'm just playing with Tay, I'm holding Tay, uh, but then Eugenia ruins it because she walks past 
and he sees her. And he looks at her, and he looks back at me, and you can see it like in slow motion, right? What happens? He begins to cry. Like he remembers again his hunger and his tiredness, his, his exhaustion once he sees his mom. And he's like, I don't know what this thing in front of me is, but that's my mom, and I want her. And it was fascinating to watch, right? Because it's like he's literally conditioned, right? When he's reminded of the presence of his mother to literally cry out to her when he needs something. I'm going to say it again. He is conditioned when he's reminded of his mother's presence to cry out to her when he needs something. Not even a moment passed before he was calling for his mother. Did you know the Bible describes God at times like a mother nursing her baby? And so the implications of that are we as his children should be conditioned to cry out to him in our moments of uncertainty, big decisions, confusion, stress. And so I would argue that perhaps God at times leads us and God led Israel into the desert to condition them. That was getting good. Uh, I can tell you I don't quite believe me though yet in this crowd, so we're going to turn to Exodus 15. Really quickly, if you have your Bibles with you, Exodus 15 will be in verse 22. And I'm going to read it real quick. It says, Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went to the wilderness of Shur. And it says Moses, but we know God's the one step-by-step leading them, right? They journeyed for three days in the same wilderness, and they are uh, found without any water. And they come to Marah. They could not drink the water on Marah because it was bitter. That's why it's called Marah. I like that. The people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? Now, let's pause here because you might be saying to yourself, well, hold up. Uh, Father David, uh, this sounds like the passage we just read, to which I would respectfully be like, yup, right? This is like almost verbatim the exact same situation. So let's see what happens. Verse uh, 24, they grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? He cries out to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a tree. He throws a tree in the water. The water becomes drinkable. Moses, like baby Tate, in this moment of thirst, in this moment in the wilderness, remembers the presence of God and cries out to God. And God provides water. Fast forward just two chapters later for our passage for today. These people again are in the exact same situation where God has led them to a desert without any water. And I think he's trying to see what they've learned. And you would think that they have just seen Moses cry out to God and God deliver water. They had just seen, like we said last week, Moses cried to God and God literally bring bread from heaven that they would be conditioned to cry out to the Lord in their moment of uncertainty. But what happens? They grumble and they complain and they have the audacity 
to ask each other, is the Lord actually among us? Is he actually for us? Does he actually love us? Will he actually provide for us? Despite all that he's just done for them. And I think it's easy for us to judge the Israelites and then we remember that we are just like them. I mean, raise your hand if you've been in times of uncertainty before, right? And keep your hand raised if you've been in times of uncertainty and you actually cried out to God, like, like you actually prayed to God. And now keep your hand raised if you actually can remember a time where you prayed to God and he actually delivered you. Like, like he actually either he helped provide a step or he covered you, covered you as he made a decision or he provided for you in ways you didn't think he would. He would. And you can put your hands down, but we have those stories. And they're not that many chapters removed from our life. And yet now when we are in a season or we're in seasons or we're in days or moments of uncertainty, we feel stress and we feel anxiety. And still we rely on our own competence and we forget the presence of our father who has already delivered us and we don't cry out to him and we don't fall on our knees and pray to him. Not just one day or two days, but for, for the whole week. Until he answers, until he delivers. We don't wrestle with him until he blesses us. We get discouraged. We lose focus. We forget our hunger. We forget our weariness. We look at other things in the world. We forget the presence of God. Or we doubt that he ever was actually among us. We say maybe it was just us all along. Maybe it's just, it just been us. Maybe he didn't really do anything. And so we are just like the Israelites who doubt the presence of God. But let me say this. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the God of the Old Testament is not patient and kind with his people. Because what happens? They've questioned his integrity. They've insulted him. They've dishonored him. They've questioned his presence. But still, Moses is the one who remembers on behalf of the people to cry out to his father. And God again delivers water. Master Band to begin to come back up. And you might say, well, Pastor Otua, how can we be sure that God is still with us? I mean, maybe he did it before, but how do we know he will do it again? How can we be sure that his presence is actually among us? How can I know that his spirit is within me, whispering in a still small voice to guide me through every difficult path that I walk in life? How do I know that God will provide water in this season of desert? And there's a lot of things I could say, but for today, I'll just say this. The way we can know is because um, God asked Moses to strike the rock. So you might be wondering, you know, what if God is punishing us as a nation, as a city, as a church? What, what if God is punishing me as a person? 
And so he's removed his presence from me because I've doubted for too long or, or, or I've questioned him way too much because I am one of those people who have normalized doubt and worry and anxiety. What if God has removed his presence from me as punishment because he's angry with me or he's angry with our church or angry with our city? And I would say the way you know is because God tells Moses to strike the rock. God tells Moses Take the staff I've given you and bring some witnesses with you and go over there to that rock at the mountain of Sinai, Horeb. And I will go before you. My presence will be with the rock and then strike the rock. Do you get it yet? In case you don't, uh, Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, that rock was Christ. What God says after his people have dishonored him and doubted him and questioned him, even though he had every right to strike his people, he said, you strike me. You hurt me. You beat me. You torture me. You do that to me. The punishment you deserve, you now have the authority to do to me so that you will see that I will provide always for you exactly what you need. The living water. My presence. And Christ says that anyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again. What does that mean? This presence, this providence of God is eternal. It will never leave us. And so we don't have to doubt if the Lord is among us or not. So I have the same homework for you guys this week as I had this past week. And I want you to think of the things that cause you the most stress. Like, like, get to the root of the things that cause you anxiety and that give you sleepless nights, make you feel unsettled or uncertain in this season. And I want you to bring that before God. Right, let's do it right now in prayer. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I'm not going to tell you what to say. I'm going to say whatever it is that God's putting on your heart bring before him.